whether you are starting a business or running a business, maybe you're producing a podcast like The Kara Golden Show. Let's face it, it's always way harder than one might expect. Lots of little details, meticulous planning, producing product, guest coordination, editing, promoting each episode. It's all a ton of work. Managing merchandise, managing cases and book sales too, layer after layer of complexity. And if you're like me, looking for ways to operate more efficiently and effectively is the name of the game. That's why I'm going to let you in on a little secret. ShipStation, the tool that is here to help you and you need to know all about it. With ShipStation, you can integrate with all the places you sell online, optimize your shipping, save costs and time. Personally, ShipStation has been a lifesaver for me. Its automation features allow me to manage orders from anywhere and print shipping labels with just a click. Seriously, it's that easy. And the cost savings? Unbelievable. With discounts up to 89% off carrier rates, you can't go wrong. Significant savings. And who doesn't want that? An easy-to-use dashboard, robust reporting. Oh, and did I mention that over 130,000 companies have leveraged ShipStation to grow their businesses? Not much churn either. 98% of them stay with ShipStation because it truly works. ShipStation is it. So if you're ready to streamline your shipping process and focus more on what you love, head over to ShipStation.com the innovative tool that helps turn your shipping challenges into opportunities for growth. Go to ShipStation.com and use code CARA to sign up for your free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com, code CARA. Use code CARA for a free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com, promo code CARA. And so we all kind of move at a certain frequency or vibration, and we have to raise it up if we want to grow. I am unwilling to give up. That I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get knocked out. Knocked out. So your only choice should be go focus on what you can control. 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 Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Kara Golden Show. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with some of the world's greatest leaders. We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden from The Kara Golden Show, and I am super, super excited to have my next guest here. And I was actually on his podcast, uh, and we are so excited that he agreed to come on mine. Uh, Jonathan Dwoskin here, and he is the founder of the John Dwoskin Experience, where he coaches his clients to elevate way beyond the comfort zones and grow their businesses to not just big, but very, very, very big, uh, <laughs> awesome, awesome companies. And uh, he's a keynote speaker and former C-suite executive as well. Uh, he's also a cancer survivor and elite 
trainer. He's uh, we're going to talk about meditation, I think, a little bit. Yeah. We're going to just get into all kinds of amazing things that uh, and insights that he can share to inspire us. So anyway, welcome, John. Thank you. So do you, do you like being called John or Jonathan? John is great. And okay. thanks, for, thanks for having me on the show. Yeah. My very- family calls me Jonathan. But most people call me John. Yeah, that's that's awesome. So, so John was uh, just talking to me about Hint, my company, and we had sent him a case uh, that Kaye, my assistant, has been so great about saying, "Hey, you want a case?" And, yeah. and introducing people to it. And he was just saying he and the rest of his family hooked on Hint. So we, we love that. We love, love Hint. That. We love yeah. Hint. And uh, <laughs> with the story I was telling you is my son had a couple of his friends over. And yeah. and they went in the basement where in our basement we have, you know, water and iced teas, like just kind of a, a setup. Yeah. And, and so we were kind of out of everything. And so they went downstairs and really we had just a ton of hint water. And so they were a lot of the uh the guys were like, What this is the greatest thing we've ever tried. This is so good. What is this hint water? Da 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 da. And so then they went out and bought some. It was I yeah, love so it. thanks. It was great. So I it was it. you know, I appreciate you sending me some and and I bought a ton of my own and I'll Instacart it as well. So it's, it's been great. great. Well, it's funny. We, uh, you know, we're, we're in the Bay area, we're in Marin County and we couldn't get into a lot of public schools over the years because they had contracts with the, you know, big soda companies, but the private schools, we just started going in and, and saying, just try it. And it was funny because a lot of the food service directors at these schools said, no, I don't think the kids would like it. And and kids started requesting it. Mm, and bet. it was just this really interesting, uh, you know, thing. And now we're, you know, we're one of like two or three other items. And and really the Gen Z generation has just kind of eaten this stuff up because they really do want healthier and yeah. better for you products. And particularly, you said your son plays a lot of tennis. I mean, they... Athletes want water, right? Yeah. Or they want a product like Hint, which is an unsweetened flavored water for those of you who aren't familiar with it. So it is water. That's and great. Uh, yeah. So anyway, but so let's go back to you. So yeah, sure. childhood. So start start there, John. Where did you <laughs> where did all the happy moments and, and hilarious times come from? You know, I I um I grew up around a table where we had Shabbos dinner every Friday night. I'm Jewish, and so you know we had yeah. Shabbos dinner every Friday night. My family, my extended family, and my mom was like a comedian. She was hilarious. She kind of would hold court, and uh, and we had dinner every night as a family. And I would say, if I as I as I kind of look back at you know the the happy, I mean, there was a lot of happy times, but those really stuck out for me a lot. Those those moments around the around uh, around the kitchen table with family. With friends sometimes, but usually dinner was like kind of for family. You know, it was like my parents would say, you can have dinner and then you can go out with your friends after. And uh, those were those were great times. And we I just would talk about, you know, everything. There was, you know, we just talked. And then, and then just sitting back and listening to uh, my grandparents talk, my aunts and uncles talk, and just observing a lot of that communication and interaction and history and you know, I, I often tap into kind of those those moments, those memories, the energy of what that is, because many of those people have passed away, and so um, I miss it. But I feel like I I feel like I can tap into it when I need it. I love it. And yeah. do you hold dinner 
for everybody as well? I mean, is it an every night situation for you at your house? Um, ish, you know, um, I mean, we try to have dinner as much as we possibly can together, but it's so hard. My kids schedules, my son is on the tennis team. My daughter's on, uh, playing, you know, taking tennis lessons. My son's taking, you know, I feel like life is busier today than it was when I grew up. And so we do our best to have dinner as much as possible. I would say three, four nights a week. And, um, but it's, we're always eating, but sometimes it's kind of like we're eating on the island together or, yeah. you know, it's not, it's not as formal. I, yeah. It's- How often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Okay, maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you. It's called Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program around, available on desktop or app, no matter where you choose to learn it or what platform you choose to learn on, Rosetta Stone works and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn quicker and easier than you ever imagined to. Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip, Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. I learned Portuguese through Rosetta Stone, and by doing so, I not only got a better grasp of the spoken language of Portugal, but it got me very excited for the trip itself before I went. They even have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation as you are learning, too. They've got you covered. Rosetta Stone's trusted experts are the real deal. They've been helping people just like you for over 30 years helping millions of people to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and my favorite, Portuguese. The lessons are five to 10 minutes long and include practical exercises so that you can pick up the language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. No English translations either, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language you are focused on, helping you get the long, term retention you are looking for. And who wouldn't want that? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Kara Golden Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. Thinking about what's for dinner, but you haven't had a minute to even think about it before now? Well, let's not make that mistake again. I have a tip for you. Factor. Stress-free, delicious, ready-to-eat meals, just perfect for spring and summer yumminess. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes or less. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, keto, vegan, veggie, or calorie smart. Factor has you covered. Discover more than 60 add-ons every week too, like breakfast and on-the-go lunch choices, snacks and beverages now too. Stay fueled and feel good all day long with whatever they are creating over at Factor for you. And the best part, 
Each meal is ready to eat in just two minutes or less. And who wouldn't want that? Factor is your solution for fast premium meals without the need for cooking. Get started today and fuel up for your spring and summer goals. What are you waiting for? Head to factormeals.com slash golden50 and use code golden50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code golden50 at factormeals.com slash golden50 to get 50% off plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. That's code golden50 at factormeals.com slash golden50 to get 50% off plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Just harder for some reason uh, with everybody's schedule. I totally schedule. agree. That's why I asked because I, I uh, that was something that as a kid, my parents, it was just, we always had to be home by dinner. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, every once in a while there was one of us missing. I mean, I was the last of five kids. And so we actually didn't have a giant table. So it was almost better when one person was missing. <laughs> anyway, yeah. that's another story, but, but, you know, I totally agree with you with all of these schedules. It's, yeah. uh, it, it's really tough. You know, it's, it, I started this ritual really by accident, probably, I don't know, 10 years ago when we sort of stopped traveling with our kids because it just became a hassle that we had to have four car seats on the airplanes and, yeah. you know, strapped in. <laughs> it was like, yeah, we, were, we were a scene, right? And oh, it was just, and it was just because my kids were, you know, when I launched Hint, we had four kids under the age of six. And oh, I mean, God. it was a comedy, you know, like the, the flight like attendants would, re, would watch us and, you know, go from San Francisco yeah. back to New York. And it was just crazy. So we you know, stopped. Karen, I just want to say real quick, my son didn't even get on a plane for the first time until he was, I think, seven or eight because it was just too crazy it once we had our second to even like manage an airplane. You know, we oh yeah, we we were yeah. refusing and you know to <laughs> to stop what we were yeah. doing, and we took our kids everywhere, and then finally it just got. It just got crazy, and we just decided we're not taking them. It's just become more of an issue. But anyway, about ten years ago, we started. You know, everybody's got all the kids had a reason for not actually taking off and going on. You know, the yeah. the vacation, and uh, they want. You know, some wanted to do this, some wanted to do that, and so basically, over really kind of the holidays and and the. Christmas break um, time period, I would, uh, I started planning these trips. And, um, and it was, you know, they were pretty significant trips because my kids also go away to summer camp. So I'd never even have them um, during the summer. And those two weeks were, are always, I mean, my kids still talk about those two weeks because yeah. we eject them. I, I typically find places where they're not going to know anybody because they're, I mean, for us, California to Hawaii, my kids always know people in Hawaii. Like it's yeah. just, it's, you know, they'll start texting and then it's all over with. And then they're like, oh, I'm going to go to their house. And, you know, they're gone. Yeah. But so I eject them. And um, and it's amazing just having that time, that dinner time and mm -hmm. those two weeks have really consolidated. So even if it isn't the dinner, even yeah, during the week, I, I mean, the stories that come about and finding those rituals. So, yeah. Really, you know, you made me think about that. But I find the same. I find the same way. Th I I find the same thing though because I'm so grateful that we've traveled with our kids. Not 
internationally, but because they're still they've they've still been kind of somewhat young. But we've taken them so many places, any chance we could, and I'm so glad we did. Now that the now that it's kind of like we're living in pandemic world, it's not mm-hmm. as easy to just get up and go and and plan um, family trips. And so, yeah, you know, I, I hear you. Those are those are key memories and moments. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. I remember. Uh, just really quickly, it was interesting. My 15-year-old was talking to me about this the other day that we uh, we actually went last holiday. We went on a huge trip. I'd wanted to go, I had a ton of miles and uh, I had wanted to go diving in the Maldives. I wanted to go for 30 years. And mm-hmm. I said, we're going. And I didn't, I don't tell the other thing. I don't tell my family until like a few days before. So they can't like figure out how to get out of it. Yeah. So they were like, wait, how, how do we get there? We flew through Dubai on the mm. way there. And then on the way home, we went through Singapore and we had never been there. We were spending a few days in Singapore and running around. So that was the first place where I remember turning on CNN and hearing about the coronavirus. This is the yeah. end of January. And it was like, and we were hearing about it. And the fir- of, of course, being in the beverage industry, I'm thinking, I wonder if the Corona family is a little upset about yeah. the coronavirus. You know, I mean, that absolutely not good, not good, right? And we were sitting there in Singapore and they were talking about the Chinese New Year and how people were traveling. And it was amazing. We came back to San Francisco a few days later and we started to really hear about it in Singapore. We came back to San Francisco. Nobody was really talking about it. And we yeah. and we really and my kids are still like that those moments of saying, Wow, you know, and we were seeing, I mean, everybody was wearing masks in Singapore. They were really it was super hot because it, you know, reverse yeah. seasons and stuff. Anyway, but but even my kid like they'll never forget that. Yeah. Right. They'll never forget how different and they wanted to like look on TV at by the time it hit the U.S., they were looking on at Singapore and trying so, to figure yeah. out exactly what was going on. And and so again, it brings these experiences where yeah. um, they can really speak to it, and you can anyway feel feel it. So okay, so getting back right. to you, so around the age of thirteen, many of your family members started to get sick. Talk yeah. to me a little bit about that. You know, it was a little crazy. I um, there was a lot of turmoil. So as I was sharing with you, a lot of laughter, a lot of you know, you know, family. My family grew up very tight, um, but kind of from the age of about I would say thirteen till about when I was twenty five, just it started with you know um, my grandma, which made sense, um, who you know got brain cancer and then passed away. Um, my aunt, my mom's sister, who died at 41 um, and at a very young age, um, she had cancer. And then my grandfather um, um, was healthy and then had his leg amputated and moved in with us. And and then he passed away. And then my mom uh, was sick. Um, uh, when I turned 13, she was diagnosed with a, a, a disease called alpha-1 antitrypsin, which is a you're born with a basically a, a protein not in your you're you're lacking a protein, so you're basically born. Long story short, with emphysema, but you don't know till you're 35. So she battled that for a while. She passed away when she was 51. So it was like this, like in, this, like insane 13 wow. to 25 of just, um, you know, still trying to kind of keep the laughter up and the fam. My family was tight, but just a lot of a lot of turmoil, a lot of chaos. 
Wow. And so what did you, and so it was, how many kids in your family? It was you? So and, it's, it's, it's me and my brother. And you then, and, your brother. and then I have a cousin who I refer to as my sister, but it's really my brother and I. Yeah. Wow. And, yeah. and so you're, uh, at 18, your dad gives you the Brian Tracy's, the psychology of success. Life changer, Kara. Absolutely life changer. And talk to me about that. This is this so is wild. I, you know, it wasn't until I was in my early thirties, thirty, thirty-one, that I knew I was dyslexic. And um, school was scholastically so difficult for me. Just the the studying and the retention and the taking a test is was just so difficult. But I, I, I just kind of did what I needed to do. I mean, it was you know a while ago. So and. Um, and but 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 at eighteen, my dad said, "Hey, I think I know you're going to do well in college. If you get below a three point, you're coming home. But you, I know you'll do well in college. But I think you'll learn more from these types of tapes and people like Brian Tracy than you will college." And so little did I know that after when when I was I'm, the reason I'm fast forwarding thirty thirty one is when I took this IQ test, and I'll I'll get to that in a second. It said it said that I, I always thought I was more visual than audible aud, uh, auditory. It said that I was primarily auditory. So I put these on my ears when I was 18 and I thought, not only can I, not only did it resonate the moment I listened to the first couple words and I thought, this is exactly what I want to do for a living. I want to coach companies. I want to write books. I want to speak. I want to help people reach their potential, but I could also retain what I heard at such higher rates, you know? So it was like, I could read a book, love the book, and then I could like summarize it in like a sentence or two, but I couldn't. I couldn't retain it. And then it would come to me like, like I'll be coaching now even, and I'm a huge reader. I'm a huge audible listener and a huge reader. And I'll read a book and I'll be like, wait, what did I just read? And then I'll be coaching someone and everything I need to know in that moment for that client will download to me in that moment. And so, and it's like all these thousands of books that I've read, even though sometimes I can't retain them in the moment to like write a paper about them if I had to. But as soon as I need it, it kind of clicks right into me. And so I had listened from 18 on up until today. I listen every single day to something. Hmm. And so I became obsessed with um, just self-learning all through college. I mean, all through college, I, um, I would be walking to class, um, working out, listening to these tapes. I couldn't get enough. It was like a drug. Wow. That's, that's amazing. Do you still yeah. recommend those tapes? Like what, what is it about those in particular that really had you engaged? As a business coach, I do my best to break things down to the simple. And I mm-hmm. felt like so many of the, you know, the people that I listened to, the Brian Tracy's, the Jim Rohn's, the, 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 the Tony Robbins, the, I mean, I could go on and on and on. They all break things down to the simple. And it's just kind of how I think, you know, I, I'm always kind of reverse engineering to the simple. And I, 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 yeah. And so to me, it's like things shouldn't be complicated. The, the fundamentals of things, it's one of my favorite sayings, sayings are, this is, it's so simple, it's complicated. And so I see things intuitively down to the simple. I always, I always have. And so like when I'm in chemistry and when I was pre-med in school, I ended up, you know, dropping every pre-med class because I, but it just, it didn't make sense to me, the classes I was taking, because I always felt like this isn't simple. Like things should be somewhat simple. And so for me, it it resonated with me because everything that I was thinking, everything that I was trying to process or put into a framework, it was doing it for me. And it was saying, oh, this is simple. And you can actually make a business out of teaching people too simple. 
That's amazing. And yeah. so did you, you didn't know this in college that you wanted to ultimately do this though, right? I mean, I not- knew, I knew when I was 18, I knew the minute I put it on my ears, I thought this is exactly what I want to do. I didn't know the path that I would ultimately get to, you know, starting an internet company and selling that to the largest internet professional service room in the world and doing real estate and commercial real estate and, 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 you know, doing all the things that I did, the twists and the turns to get to the point. But I always knew it was my, it was my landing. It was my bedrock of where I wanted to be. So you, so after school, you talked about pre-med for a second and yeah, you decided second. not to do that. And well, was, I so, think it decided not to do me more yeah. or less. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, yeah. So what did you end up doing after, after school? So I, I graduated, I went to Eastern Michigan. I graduated with a double major in journalism and economics. And I was going to, I wanted to go into broadcast journalism. I wanted to be the next Larry King and Dan Rather, read all their books, uh, worked at the local Channel 7 uh, at the intern, at the um, assignment test for a year. And then I went to Israel for three weeks after I graduated college. I was at the King David Hotel in Jerusalem, and I had to go to the bathroom, and I walked by this conference room, and it stopped me dead in my tracks, and, and it was, it, they were smoke, I mean, I'm going to be 49 this year, they were, I, was, I was, you know, 23 at the time, 22. And they were sitting there smoking and negotiating and screaming at each other and yelling and this. And I just sat in the door and I thought, this is what I want to do. So I decided at that moment, I want to go, I want to start a business. And I had no idea really what that business would, would be. I came home from Israel, did not get the job, the reporter job from Cadillac, Michigan, Channel 9 and 10. They turned me down. I made it to the final three. And my brother and a buddy of his were at my house talking about they're going to start this internet company. This was in you know early 1995. So I said, "Listen, guys, um, I want to get into business. Um, you know, I'm giving you the long story short. Make me an equal partner, and I'll do the sales, right? Like, it, they, yeah. and who knew what the internet was in May 1995? Right? It was I did barely. Yeah, so. you did. Yeah. Well, you were at AOL, <laughs> and right. So and so they said." Okay. So we each kind of had our role and we built a business to over 300 clients, about two dozen people. And two years later, we sold it to a company, which you probably remember called US Web. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they bought our company. And, and just um, tell the audience who, what the name of your company was. The name of the company was Online Marketing Company. And we had grown it to about 300 clients and uh, we're getting a lot of recognition locally. And then they came in and bought us. They were at the time the largest internet professional service firm in the world. And we were partners in this group and I was 25 years old. And it was the most incredible experience and the worst experience because we went from this mon feel to this huge corporate element. And I loved it. Couldn't have learned, you know, we talk about reading. I couldn't have learned anything I learned in a book on a tape or anything. It was like real life, just like thrown right in the trenches. And I did that for a few years until my contract was up. And then I left and got into commercial real estate. Interesting. Yeah. All these steps along the way, I'm, I'm constantly, I feel like our house is a house where there's so many Gen Zers and yeah. you know, my kids don't want to hear from me anymore, um, but their <laughs> friends do. And yeah. so they're always asking me these questions. And you know, I, I just think it's, it's a, I'm such a huge believer in the journey. I mean, you talked about that oh, yeah. first job that you wanted so bad and you know, and if it doesn't work out, I, I just, I'm a bit Zen about stuff today. Like it hurts sometimes and initially. And, um, but I also, you know, believe that you got to go back if you really want something and give it another crack and, you know, and, uh, sometimes it'll work and sometimes it won't. And then you move on. Right. And you, uh, 
And it sounds like that's sort of your theory as well. And absolutely, you know, along along the way. And so you get into commercial real estate. I just want to say one, I just want to say one comment on that because my passion was always these tapes and teaching and learning and growing. So I put that into my internet business. Like I was, I led the sales, I grew the sales team. I would implement things that I was reading and listening to every single day. I was the one kind of leading the way with our business plan for my business partners. And so I was, I, I kind of took the piece of me that I really wanted to grow and put it into that. And then when I got into commercial real estate, I did the same thing. I, I, I thought, and because my grandfather was in real estate, I grew up and idolized him and he was in real estate. And so I always wanted to get into real estate. And then how that happened was completely by accident. I, um, kind of by accident. I'd been wanting to get into real estate for many, many years. And um, I was diagnosed at the age of 30. I was, I just gotten married nine months prior. My wife and I were ready like to have kids and I was diagnosed with testicular cancer. Mm. And so I thought, man, this is like not great timing. Um, you know, we have kind of like this, um, like, you know, these plans and things to, uh, yeah. to do. And, um, and so when I got my blood test and I was waiting, I had a day and a half to find out what stage cancer I had. And in that moment, I thought, you know what? I've been wanting to get into commercial real estate. Um, it's been a passion for a long, long time. And so, you know, I'm praying to God, God, if I get, just make it, let me get through this. And then I'm going to get into commercial real estate. turns out I had a stage one, 17 treatments of radiation, and while I was going through radiation, a deal of my grandfather's that he used to talk about all the time came back to life. This is now 30 years, 40 years later. Some random person calls my brother and says, um, I'm the attorney on such and such deal. And my brother comes and goes, what, what are we supposed to do with this? I said, call this guy that we both mutually know. They end up going to lunch. My brother says, meet us for lunch. I said, Jeff, I have radiation treatment like right before. I cannot meet you for sushi. Like I'll, I'll puke all yeah. over Meanwhile, I did. I went to radiation and then I, I ended up driving to the sushi restaurant, which even as I talked to you about this, Karen, it was almost 20 years ago. I still can like smell it. Visual, you know what I mean? Yeah, oh, it was yeah. gross. Anyway, the guy was in commercial real estate. And so he said, you should, you know, you should get into commercial real estate. And I said, well, you do leasing. I've always wanted to kind of sell commercial buildings. And he's like, well, that's what I do. I just started a new company. I said, oh, I, anyway, long story short, I interviewed, I got the job. I was a broker for six years. I sold apartment buildings in Michigan. And then after six years of that, I got relatively restless and bored. I wanted to start my business coaching business. Hmm. Yeah. And all the, all the dots finally connected. No, not yet. Because the not universe yet. wasn't ready. So the guy who was running my office came into my office and said, hey, um, I need somebody to take over this office. You want to take it over? And then I'm going to get promoted. Long story short, I interviewed for that job. They gave me the job. I started August 4th of 08. The market crashed. Um, in September of 08, my office was just flatlined. And then over the next six years, I was able to take all my tools and grow my office to one of the top producing offices in the entire company, grew it back to 45 agents, 60 some people overall. Um, I was on the CEO advisory committee. I, would, I was a national and regional trainer and I was able to really have a lot of autonomy to grow my office and do all the stuff that I love to do. And what do you think it was that allowed you to grow? the office versus people before you? Well, the guy before me did grow it and then the, and then the um, recession flattened it, mm -hmm. right? But I think what got me to grow it 
out of the recession because it literally our pipeline went to zero overnight um and in september you know of 08 but i think what got me to grow it is all of the training that i had done i had two business coaches i had a business coach and a communications coach i um and res and sheer resilience and a lot of prayer it was the first two years of that was the most anxiety ridden uh, stuff i had ever been through because i had this office of of guys who many I had to kind of ask to leave. Some had to be let go. If they weren't going to work, I had to clean up the office for the people who were going to work and weather the storm. Mm -hmm. And some of these people raised me in the business and now I'm running the office. And so I needed, so there were people that, you know, I was friends with that all of a sudden turned against me. There were people that, you know, liked me, but they didn't want to listen to me because they thought I was too young in my mid thirties to even give them advice how to get through a recession. So the study, the selfs, I got myself into a discipline of studying every single person every single day and creating a business plan of each person. I treated each person like a, their own company. And I thought, how can I grow my relationship with this, each person 1% every single day and take all the tools I had been studying and continued to study? I love it. And then, you know, when I left, because I, I, I wanted to, I, I left to, actually started my business, but ended up going in-house for a year to help turn around a company and then started my business now six years ago. I said this, and I didn't say this arrogantly or, or narcissistically at my lunch that they gave me when I on my last day, but I said, someone says to me, what's one of the greatest things of the last six years? I said, when I first took this over, the market crashed a month later, four or five, six weeks later. There were some of you in this room that didn't want anything to do with me and some of you even that hated me. And then, of course, I always had my supporters. But I said, I leave here where you, and I, and I don't say this narcissistically, you all really love me. We did this. We got through this together. And I really believe that um, I was a part in helping them all become better versions of themselves and helping them. And that's, that's what I love to do. That's what drives me, getting people just to the, to the next step of their potential and the pebble that's in their way. Because a lot of times I can see what they cannot see. I can hear what they cannot hear and I can guide them to their next steps. And that's what I get to do now every single day. I love it. Well, I think that just being a, being a leader that actually shows interest in each individual yeah. person as well as, I mean, talk about simplicity, right? Yeah. It's just, it makes, you know, such a key difference and actually yeah. understanding, uh, you know, I think I've, I've given many, many interviews about managing during a pandemic because, as as you know, I still run a company and yeah, and uh, I do this for fun. Uh, yeah. But it's, I feel like at times I'm a I'm a den mother, you know, during yeah. this time, and and you know, even people who I thought I really knew well um, prior to the pandemic, there's just different issues that are breaking yeah. issues. So there's, you know, some people have kids. Some people don't live with anyone and it's really lonely and, and yeah. you know, and it's just really understanding what each individual is going through. And it's yeah. not about, you know, the e-commerce team versus uh, the, you know, customer service team. It really is about each individual. And, and I think yeah. that that a lot of what you talked about really resonated with me for sure, because I think it really, no matter what the time is, I think it's really, really key to really understand who are these people. Yeah. And, you know, what are some of the, what are their stories um, as well? So, you know what, also, the, I just want to say one yeah. thing on that. I think it's also as a manager of people, which, um, you know, we, we both 
are, have been, et cetera, mm-hmm. not taking anything personally. I mean, it's, you know, people are going through their own things and yeah. it's, 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 you know, I, 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 I think I had learned this lesson. My wife and I were reading Eckhart Tolle's book right before I got into management, um, A New Earth. And Oprah was having kind of weekly sessions on it. So we would read it and then we'd listen to Eckhart and Oprah do it. And then I just happened to get into management. And one of the things that he talks about is really kind of rewinding and seeing yourself as an observer. And, and, and also, I'm not saying, I don't know if he said this particularly, but at the same time, I learned the importance of responding, not reacting, mm-hmm. which is, and I think with people, it's you know, it's hard, but as a manager, you have to respond and not react because you just have to kind of create a safe space for people to be in their element, but you have to kind of be a, you can, you have to meet them where they are, but be a frequency above and a vibration above to not, to not fall into um, something that you have to take clean up and can never get your trust back again. Yeah. No, I think that's so true. I was on a uh, talk yesterday and was listening to Kevin Mayer, who, uh, you know, used to be the, I guess his most recent thing was he was the CEO of TikTok for a minute and uh, was, uh, but was at Disney for a long time. And he was in charge of M&A at Disney. Anyway, it was really fascinating to hear something that he talked about different leaders that he's met, everybody from Steve Jobs with Pixar and, you know, and George Lucas and what is the similarities and with these people. And anyway, it was super interesting conversation. But the one thing that really makes me think about that conversation, something that you just talked about too, was that figuring out what these people care about. Like when Pixar was getting acquired by Disney, he was saying that the thing that Steve Jobs really cared about was keeping Pixar email. Yeah. He wanted, I mean, and like everything else was negotiable, but he felt that that would be the end of the end. Yeah. And, you know, and he said that it's figuring out on that other side of the table, like who these people are and what they really care about. And for him, it was about that the brand and the identity and that you just... That and you can see it without, yeah. right? I mean, it's just it, it's some it's stuff that it's the simplicity and the stuff that they care about and everything else, you know, the price and everything. So once you actually know that though about a person, yeah, right, it it just it actually allows you to kind of t- tell your own story I agree. about that person. But it, anyway, it was made no, me think I love about that. that. Yeah, yeah no, thank was, you. Amazing. So, so your motto is ready to get unstuck and yeah. grow your business big, very big. What do you think is the key thing when people are looking at, you know, they, they hear about you, you're a great coach. They, you know, want to sign up. What do you, what do you feel is, is the challenge, right? That by the time you end up getting that email or phone call from somebody, yeah. what is, what is sort of the first one? Like, I don't really need a coach, but yeah, I mean, some people say that. I, well, by the time people call me, they typically know they need a coach. Um, and I think the first step is just surrendering and raising awareness, right? I'm a big believer that the same level of consciousness that got us to where we are cannot get us to where we want to be. And so we all kind of move at a certain frequency or vibration, and we have to raise it up if we want to grow. Mm-hmm. And part of that is surrendering and and allowing somebody to come in um, ask you a lot of questions, be really vulnerable, um, and open up. So, you know, until you get to that point, 
and on top of that, be ready to do the work, then it's not time for a coach yet. Because a coach can be great and you can, you know, you can have the best coach in the world, but if you don't take it and then execute and implement, um, and you know, then it doesn't work. And so for me, getting unstuck is, I would say most people, most people call me and they say, John, I'm stuck. I'm stuck. Like I need to get unstuck because I've gotten to a certain point or, you know, I don't have, I have, I have business partners that I can't talk to. I don't have anybody to talk to. Um, uh, people that I'm managing don't like me. My managers, um, uh, don't know how to manage people. You know, they were, you know, one of the first questions I ask people are, you know, how many managers do you have? And did you hire them because they were good at their job or because you interviewed them as managers of people? <laughs> do they have experience? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times they'll say, we hired them because they were good at their job and now we're in trouble. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times I find companies, they don't invest in training their managers. They don't invest in training their salespeople. They don't invest in training their um, leadership teams, their C-level suites. And so all of these things kind of, when it's all happening, they bubble up and then everybody kind of feels stuck. And then if you have a leader at the top who isn't clear with their messaging and isn't clear with the direction and isn't living the values and the vision that are on their walls, then you run into a lot of problems because then everybody's not only not getting trained, but they're just trying to try to kind of just get through the day to make the, you know, the owner happy or the person they report to happy. And so a lot of times I'll, I will be working with C-level suites, owners of companies, C-level, you know, the C-level group, uh, VP of sales, salespeople and managers, sometimes all of those groups within one company. And we, I say, okay, as I, I tell everybody the exact same thing. I do no contracts. I guarantee my value. Um, if at any time you don't feel the value, don't pay me, stop using me. And um, I, I guarantee what I do. And if within the first hour you don't find ridiculous value, then don't, then, then we can just say our goodbyes. But to me, the first hour, that first step is I start asking them questions that open them up. Mm-hmm. And then I start pointing out things and uh, I can type as fast as I can talk. So I take a ton of notes when I'm mm-hmm. talking to my clients and I start diving into things and giving them direction and then reverse engineering an action plan for them to take simple steps to move forward. So it really is about organization. I mean, I think most coaches, it's the same thing. It's actually figuring out, you know, I, I think that the, the interesting thing about you versus some of the other coaches that are out there and not totally ditch, dissing on the industry, <laughs> but it, there are a lot of coaches that actually haven't had C-suite experience. Correct. Right. And built organizations and uh, and built different types of organizations right. too at different sizes. So I think that that's what's, you know, you can talk about vulnerability and all of those things, and that's important and right. that's fine. But I think that it's also oftentimes people really need to understand what they could be doing differently inside of an organization and how they yeah. can be sort of the the instrument to go do that. I say to a lot of people, you know, they'll say, well, what differentiates you? I'll say, well, I'm a business coach that's actually been in business. You know, I've had a business, sold a business, grown other businesses. You know, I've sold my company, um, walked into a conference room two weeks after my mom died, where my boss said to me, your numbers are down, get them, down, get them up. And I said, you know, my mom died um, two weeks ago. It's been a little hectic. And he looked me straight in the eyes and said, I said, get your numbers up, get out of here. 
You know, I've been in those situations. I've been in a situation where we sold our company. We then went public. We get a call that says, get your numbers up, you know, X percent within the next two weeks. We have to do, we have to report out to Wall Street. Click. Right. And then you have to figure it out. And so, you know, and I could name a thousand other instances that I've actually been in. I've been in an office, like I was saying earlier, where I took over as a manager and there was a percentage of people there that had no respect for me that I had to earn their respect. I had to be a value add to them and I had to build it from scratch. And so um, I think unless you've been in those situations, it's really, really hard to coach somebody because my coaching is custom for every single person that I coach. I mean, I coach one-on-one mostly, but I also started some coaching groups as well because I hate my father was a dentist. He never turned a client away. If somebody came to him and said, Mark, I I need $10,000 worth of work, but I have no money, he would say, pay me $20 a a month for the next 10 years. And so I never liked when people come to me and said, "Um, I can't afford you. It it bothered my soul. And Mm -hmm. so um, about three months ago, I launched a private coaching group that can fit into everybody's budget. And, um, and it makes my soul feel good because I can, you know, I think there needs to be an energy exchange of money when, if you're getting a service, mm-hmm. um, but now it's something that I can, I can do for people. I love it. So going back actually to, you're also an avid meditator oh, and yeah. how does that fit into coaching? I mean, you talked about some real stressful conversations that yeah. can occur when you're working, especially yeah. in, in companies that are either high growth or going through a nosedive or, you know, where there's stress. I mean, yeah. what what do you see in being in meditation that has really helped mm-hmm. you? Meditation has been a game changer for me, Kara. When I met my wife, I was about 20, 26, 27 in Chicago. And I had, through life, I had gotten all these ailments. Like I became lactose intolerant. I couldn't eat certain foods and yada, yada, yada. Uh, Nothing I was born with. I just think stress kind of brought some of that Mm -hmm. stuff on. I'm not a doctor. I'm just making that assumption. Mm -hmm. And so I met my wife. She's living in Chicago. She's from Detroit. We meet in Chicago. I'm in Chicago with friends. I see her walking out of a restaurant. I ask her out and then boom, I knew, we knew immediately we were meant to be. So I'm there, I would go there for, you know, weeks on end and, um, and, and stay with her in Chicago. And she said, you got to come with me to see my holistic doctor. So I went to this holistic doctor who would realign my energy and then boom, I wasn't lactose intolerant. Boom, all of these things, he started kind of helping me heal. And so he taught me how to meditate. So, um, and so he taught me how to meditate a minute at a time. Fast forward now a few years, I'm meditating every day. And through meditation, I was meditating religiously. And I said to my wife, Joanna, I think I have testicular cancer. And I just had a physical. And she said, oh, you're crazy because I was reading Lance Armstrong's book at the time. And I said, no, I can just sense it. My meditations went black. Something's wrong in my body. So I went to a couple different doctors and then I went to a new internist and I did. I had testicular cancer. And I really believe that meditation saved my life, that there was, because I had given myself the space of quiet, I could tune in to my instincts on a much, much higher um, frequency. And so um, ever since I learned, I've been meditating pretty much every day. And some days it looks differently than it does others because some days I have 20 minutes every morning. Some days I just have five minutes, but I'm incorporated through my days as well. The power of breath is so critical. We take about seven and a half million breaths a year. 
And so many people don't take time to just study it and relax, but there's nothing that can get you out of fight or flight faster than five deep breaths. And so I'm a big fan of starting every day with meditation. How long do you do it and do you use an app? So um, I do not use an app. I, I do transcendental meditation predominantly. I, I also took a class many, many years ago on the Silva Mind Method. So sometimes I'll do that. And sometimes I just take 10 deep breaths. Like sometimes I can't get into a space where, you know, TM or Silva Mind Method just are not resonating with me in that morning. And I I used to feel guilty about it, but now I just kind of, you know, respect the the, the space I'm in and I'll take 10, 15, 20 deep breaths, but always for, I would say, a minimum of three to five minutes. But typically, ideally, I love doing a good 20-minute transcendental meditation um, every morning. Interesting. Do you do yeah. that before you work out? Or It's the first thing I do when I, I wake up at around 5, 5.30 in the morning. It's the first thing I do is, is meditate, and then I have a gym in my basement, and then, and then I work out. Interesting. So yeah. you're not too Zen before you go and work out. It actually helps you center before you. Yeah. It helps That's, me a I lot. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Good, great practice. So, but, uh, but real quickly, a, yeah. an app that I do um, have that I bought for my family is Calm, which I think is a, is a great app. Yeah. I've seen all their, I, I actually have tried Calm before and I do like it. I yeah. do like it a lot. So it's interesting. I mean, I, I think in many ways I, uh, I go out hiking. I I live next. My house backs up to hundred acres of woods, and mm. uh, and so it's my meditation actually, yeah. and nature and birds and seeing stuff. So, yeah. uh, but I I really I find in so many ways that if you don't have that, I remember when I was living in the city, and even when I was traveling a ton too, it's just um, turning on some of those different apps and yeah, um, and just doing doing that really, really helps to center you. So I love that. So you host the Think Business podcast with the myriad of self-help and business education. How do you deliver, like, what is the promise to consumers who are listening? The the promise is that you're, it's going to be like a, a mini master's class every time I interview somebody. You know, the interviews are um, I just ask a lot of questions. I don't prep questions because I want it to be an organic, real conversation yeah. as if somebody is sitting there. I've um, been there. It's, yeah, it's you've been great. there, right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and so I want it to just be real. I love to listen to people and um, feedback I get from other people are um, great questions, great guests, great content. People are really real. I do my best to bring out just great content from my guests and um, I want people to not only think big, but think forward and really think consciously. You know, I end with kind of a speed round and some people are like, oh, I, I wasn't expecting that and this and the other. But I kind of want that because I don't want the podcast to be perfect. I don't want it to be scripted. I want it to be imperfect. And I love it. I love it. I do lives um, Monday through Friday and recorded. It. It's a seven day a week podcast and it's a total passion project. I love it. I love it. That's so great. So before we part, I'd love to discuss your book, The Think Big Movement, Grow Your Business Big, Very Big. And uh, your book is awesome. It's super, super great. And how do you know a fable was the best way to convey your message for, because it's written, not to give too much of it away, but it's uh, written in in a very unique way. I love it. Yeah. So I love The Go-Giver by Bob Berg. Um, I've had him on the show a bunch of times. 
I love The Alchemist. I mean, those are two of my favorite books. I've always loved, um, you know, so many of the books that are written as 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 fables and parables. That I just I wanted a business book that was easy to follow through story. I think people learn really well through stories um, and lessons. Um, my next book is not going to be a fable, but this one I wanted to start have my first one as a fable. And um, I just wanted to tell a story. I, the only way I can describe it is, you know, the books that influenced me, they just, I just felt like there was a, sto- a, a story that I wanted to share with the characters in it that I wanted to kind of bring to life. And the, the essence of the book is really about somebody who is stuck and, and how you need to kind of be open to the universe. And if you are, all the guides that you need will come by and help you. And they will guide you along the way. And so that to me have been books that have been really inspiring to me and keep the interest going because there's always kind of a new character. And I think people can relate to, you know, all the names, like my best buddies in it, you know, are the the names of who they are, are the names in the book, you know? So, and I just, I don't know. I just, they're going to, I think somebody who reads it will get unstuck, get ideas. There's lots of business strategies and tactics in it but told in, um, I think, an easy-to-read way. Yeah. No, it's really, really terrific. And I love Thank your you. choice of books, too, because it's those are some of my favorites, too. So everyone, if you love this episode like I did, definitely give it five stars. And thank you so much, John, for being here. You're very generous and showing your authentic nature and so inspiring. And we'll see everyone here every Monday and Wednesday. And before signing off, I want to also talk about fear. Everybody knows that that's a something that I'm a huge believer that we all need to kind of face. And while you can call people fearless leaders, I think more than anything, it's everybody's a little nervous, right? And everybody's scared. And John talked a lot about, you know, just even people who get coaches are are scared of things along the way. And they may not even realize, right, that they've got this fear living inside of them. And, uh, it, as, uh, as you know, John, my book on undaunted came out and, I've heard from so many people that- Such you know, a great it's, book. Thanks. Yeah, it's it, it's been really great to hear from people that it's more than just how I built Hint with my incredible team, but also talking about, you know, it's not easy. And yeah. every day is a new challenge and uh, puzzle pieces are missing constantly and then more thrown on the table, as I always say. So I think more than anything, it's just about going out and trying and- yeah living your journey and doing, you know, what you enjoy. And that's uh, the biggest thing. So if you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator uh, to spotlight, please send me a tweet at Kara Golden. And again, if you like what you've heard, uh, please leave me a review on, on Apple podcast as well. And you can follow me on all social channels at Kara Golden with an I. And thanks so much for listening, everyone. Thanks again, John. Thank you, Kara. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head on in order to move forward. This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for anyone who wants to succeed in the face of fear, overcome doubts, and live a little undaunted. Undaunted. 
Order your copy today at undauntedthebook.com and learn how to look your doubts and doubters in the eye and achieve your dreams. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free case of Hint Water. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Send me a tweet at Kara Golden and let me know. And if you like what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Golden. Thanks for listening.